Welcome to Pedagogue, a podcast about teachers talking writing. I'm your host, Shane Wood. In this episode, I talk with Kim Faley Peck about teaching online, strategies for overcoming challenges to synchronous teaching, high flex models, redefining community and online teaching, and multimodal writing center practices. Kim Faley Peck is the writing center director at York College of Pennsylvania, where she coordinates writing tutoring, a writing fellows program, and teaches courses on writing, writing centers, and writing pedagogy. Her scholarship focuses on writing centers, online writing instruction, and technology mediation and writing instruction. Her dissertation, Collaboration and Community and Undergraduate Writing Synchronous Video Courses, won the 2019 Computers and Composition Hugh Burns Dissertation Award. She is currently serving as a facilitator for the basic OLI certification for the Global Society of Online Literacy Educators and is a co-editor of Young Scholars in Writing, Undergraduate Research in Writing and Rhetoric. Kim, thanks so much for joining us. Let's start by talking about your experiences teaching synchronous online classes. What's your approach to teaching synchronously? And what are some of your pedagogical aims or emphases when you teach online? I'll first start by saying that I um, kind of fell into this because I experienced synchronous online classes as a student. Um, I was starting a PhD at Old Dominion University. um, And before that, I had never taken an online class ever. I went to a small liberal arts college. My master's was like traditional graduate seminars where we sit around and talk about readings. Um, But I was in a position that a lot of students that take online classes are in. I had a full-time job, and so online education let me actually pursue my education. Um, And my very first class that I took as a PhD student was a synchronous online class. Um, It was with Shelly Rodrigo, who's now at University of Arizona, and it was just a fantastic class. We had like super engaging discussions, both verbally and um, on the chat. I felt like I got to know kind of my classmates and I was like, oh, this is a thing and it can be kind of done really well. Um, and so I consider myself really lucky because I know a lot of people now are experiencing this for the first time, having just gotten kind of thrown in. Um, and so they don't necessarily have kind of that model, um, but I did and I think for me, those experiences as a student have really shaped um, my pedagogical approaches. Um, And so for me, the kind of grounding is just activity, that if we're gonna be sharing time together, we're gonna be doing things together. The students don't need to sit and listen to me. You know, I could record a video and they could watch it if I'm doing that. We're gonna do stuff together, not just discussion, but writing and composing kind of when we're actually sharing kind of time together. And I think, too, um, another kind of grounding idea for me for synchronous teaching is flexibility. And that's not necessarily different for kind of face-to-face. But again, this kind of, I really like to treat, if I'm meeting with students synchronously, that this is like sacred time that you wouldn't have had in another kind of online situation. So if I'm realizing that students are confused or that they might need some more information about something, like it doesn't matter what I plan to do that day. We're going to use the time in in the way that kind of works best for for them. And stuff happens, Zoom cuts out, their internet kind of changes. So the the need to kind of be flexible and roll with the punches 
um, I think is just so crucial to to synchronous classes um, and, and just kind of setting that for everyone that I'm going to be like that with my students and I'm hoping they'll be like that for me if my internet cuts out or, or something kind of goes wrong. Um, so I think, you know, in terms of some of those kind of big principles, that idea of kind of just activity, flexibility, and then empathy for kind of those things that can go wrong. What have been some of the most challenging aspects of teaching synchronously online for you? And what strategies have you found to be helpful in overcoming those challenges? Yeah, so I think what's most challenging um, for a lot of people in this environment is trying to facilitate engagement and connection. Um, I think this is what people are really struggling with right now who are doing it for the first time. Um, there isn't a huge body of research on synchronous teaching, but that that does exist actually does point to this challenge. A lot of it um, is people kind of lamenting the difficulty of just having free flowing kind of conversation um, or kind of long awkward silences as part of this. And this is definitely something that I've experienced as a teacher. I've seen kind of in, in my research. Um, one thing that I think can work with this kind of stiltedness sometimes and, and the awkward silences is actually just a simple strategy of calling directly on students. Um, sometimes teachers feel really weird about that um, and you know they, they don't want to do that but when I advocate that I'm not necessarily saying kind of cold call on students or using it as like a gotcha strategy to see if they're um, listening but more as a way that you are kind of orchestrating the conversation because on you know a video conference students may be a little nervous to speak up because of the microphone um, there's a little bit more distancing so they might feel less um, kind of pressure to, to speak or sometimes students just are afraid to interrupt each other that they don't have the same visual cues of who's about to speak um, and so it just kind of causes this reticence if you call on students directly it can kind of help them avoid that and kind of navigate that for myself how I've kind of used this strategy in my teaching and tutoring class that I'm teaching this semester, I start every class where students are posting on a collaborative whiteboard space. Um, they have to share one thing that stood out to them from the readings, one question they had from the readings, and um, one connection to other course concepts or other experiences that they've had. And I use those responses to kind of orchestrate our conversation later. So as it comes up, I'll ask someone to kind of elaborate on what they put on that initial post and explain kind of what they were thinking. Um, so again, I'm kind of orchestrating um, the conversation. Or in a uh, studio class that I'm teaching, that is a support class or a first year experience class, we um, just last night were talking about um, how to approach assignment prompts. We were using um, Corinne Hinton's chapter from Writing Spaces. And in the chapter, she talks about looking for directive verbs so you know explain analyze and she has a whole list of them and so i told all of them to pick three of the verbs from the list and kind of write a definition or kind of what they thought it meant and then we went through and i asked each student one by one to tell the class one of the verbs that they chose and kind of how they understood it so everybody knew they were going to get kind of called on to speak um, knew that kind of expectation um, and so it kind of avoids some of that Ferris Bueller asking question, anyone, anyone 
kind of thing that can happen. Um, so I think that is, you know, one of the challenges. I think too, not recognizing that there are lots of ways to engage besides verbal discussion. What technologies do you use or incorporate as you teach online? I'm at Google campuses, so I use a lot of Google products. Um, so we're collaborating in Google Docs. Um, I'll have maybe Google Slides with empty slides that students need to kind of work together and fill in, posting kind of initial thoughts for the readings. Um, I'm using Google Jamboard for that. So they're posting kind of sticky notes um, with, with those ideas. Google works really well for me because all the students have kind of access to. I try to not go overboard and introduce too many technologies because I think, you know, there's so many tools that can do kind of so many things. Um, but I, you know, try to stay within kind of our video conference platform. Google or um, our LMS so that I'm not asking students to learn too many things, especially right now when they are trying to navigate so many new things um, that actually kind of trying to keep the technology on the lower side, even though it's an online, you know, there's an online component to that. Now, sometimes I have to kind of step outside or do something. So like, for instance, I'm teaching high flex a high flex class, which I I'd had experience teaching synchronously, but I'd never had to teach high flex before. Um, and so I don't have everyone in the video conference platform. So if I want to do a poll, I can't necessarily just use the poll in Zoom. So I'll use something like poll everywhere, which can, you know, embed right into um, into my Google slides. So I try to, you know, look for and find tools that are easily embedded into the technologies that we're already using. I'm really curious as to what your experience has been like in this HyFlex model. It's hard. It's really hard. Um, you know, I think that the balancing act that, that you're trying to do, you know, I'm trying so hard to give equal attention to the students in the classroom and the students who are joining virtually. Um, when I'm when I'm doing that, I'm trying to navigate the screen and you know the sharing screen on Zoom so that the students on Zoom are seeing things. But I also have to navigate the just projector in the room. Um, so, for instance, if I want to pause kind of the sharing, so they're they're working on something, you know, I have to pause it on Zoom and I have to pause it in the room. If students are using the chat feature in Zoom and have a private chat for me, I have to be careful of when I check it and look so that it's not projected to the students in the classroom. So I'm not in accidentally, you know, sharing a student's confidence when, when you know, when that wasn't kind of my, my intention. I read an article when I was doing my research on this for my dissertation um, by Sarah Cornelius who talked about synchronous online being a demanding environment. And I think that's true even if everyone is in the video conference that you're you know, keeping track of different tabs, um, the verbal channel, the text channel. But I think when you add the high flex kind of into that, it's just a kind of another, another layer. So yeah, it's, it's, it's difficult and it, it can kind of be, be done. Um, but I think that issue of equal access and trying to equally engage students in both places is very difficult. So you mentioned your dissertation research 
And your dissertation examines student and teacher interactions and their sense of community in online synchronous classes. Can you talk more about that research and what stood out to you as you were listening to teachers and students talk about their experiences and interactions in online environments? So my dissertation, I was looking at three synchronous online classes. One was completely virtual. Everyone was joining through the video conference. And then the other two were actually these high flex. And they were different levels. One of them was a first year writing class. One of them was an advanced composition. And one of them was a digital writing. And one thing that I found as I was looking at all of these is that it was actually pretty difficult to make generalizations because the type of course, the level of student, um, the kind of modality definitely changed up what ended up occurring in terms of interaction and, and student and teacher experience. But I definitely did find examples of what people, you know, worry about of this kind of stilted or kind of difficult engagement. Um, I was looking at discourse patterns in across these classes and for a lot of them, the major verbal discourse pattern was the IRF pattern. So the teacher initiates, the student responds, the instructor provides feedback to that instruction and then repeat. Um, so it is a much more kind of student instructor um, kind of, you know, question answer pattern versus a more kind of dialogic um, or student to student kind of interaction. I did see examples of more of that kind of student to student um, when students had the opportunity to give real, like, authentic feedback to each other, that it wasn't just a conversation about a writing concept. Um, so one class that I was observing, they were meeting and talking after they had completed kind of peer review, and they were talking more about expectations for their papers and questions that they had and getting a chance to look at pieces of each other's writing and offer kind of questions or suggestions. And that was one of the few times that there was actually dialogue between students. But even so, a lot of times it still was orchestrated by the instructor because I think that is just one of the features of the video conference is that's a role that the instructor just needs to take more of than maybe in the face-to-face -face classroom that you need to kind of help indicate who should kind of speak next or you know follow up and and kind of you know like a conductor of an orchestra kind of pulling all the all the pieces um, together in terms of kind of experiences and sense of community one of the challenges in in asking that and i realized is first what do we mean by community we're always talking about community as this kind of thing that we're searching for, but we don't often actually have a specific definition or a clear set of how we're going to measure that. So that was one kind of big part of my project that um, I had to do was actually um, try to define and operationalize how I was actually going to approach community. I looked at a lot of different definitions, both within and beyond the field. So discourse community, um, speech communities, virtual communities, communities of practice, communities of inquiry. And I ended up kind of focusing on kind of three key elements in terms of looking at them in synchronous online. I was looking at access and autonomy, relationships and interaction. So, you know, I've talked some about interaction and some of this issue of um, more kind of IRF kind of type patterns. But in terms of 
relationships or kind of sense of that, that it was it was kind of split and it depended on students um, kind of context. So there were several students who shared that they appreciated actually getting to see and hear their instructor. It felt more like what they expected of a classroom. Um, same with being able to see their classmates, that the video conference functioned as a facsimile of a classroom. Um, and so they kind of drive some comfort from that and felt connected in the shared experience kind of with that. But then I think there were other students who felt like maybe they had unequal access to the instructor um, or that they just felt like they got to know a small group. Like so the group that maybe was taking the class in the same physical location as them or in the same modality. So there were these almost micro communities that were developed. Um, and so that was just very interesting to me. And I think I've been thinking about that more as I've been teaching this high flex class is this concept of, um, you know, are we aiming for a, a community for a whole class? Um, is it okay to have some of these kind of more micro communities and what might be kind of the value um, of that? Um, so I think that's, that's something that I think we just need to continue to explore and continue to make sure we're actually thinking about what do we mean when we say community um, and what how how do we decide if that was achieved or not from a student perspective or from a faculty perspective. Defining or redefining community seems like a really important step to teaching online. I've talked with a lot of teachers who are teaching in a hybrid asynchronous and synchronous environment. So they're teaching once a week via Zoom, and they're having a, a really difficult time building that community or that sense of community, in part because they want to respect privacy and student agency in terms of participation. And that word, so I'm thinking participation, how that word is probably one of the first things we think about when we talk about community or building a community through teaching writing. It is, and it's a real, it's a really interesting challenge right now because I think that there are just such um, interesting conversations related to autonomy, privacy, and community that don't have easy answers. Because yes, there is something that happens when we can see each other's faces, um, and even um, something that can potentially happen when we can see each other's um, backgrounds that. Um, I've been doing some uh, follow-up research with uh, Kevin DePew from Old Dominion. We've been specifically looking at this, um, the influence of students' environments that they participate from in um, synchronous online classes. And one of the threads we've seen is that students actually really enjoy getting to see other people's, um, you know, where they choose to participate from, that that actually can be also um, something that can help develop community and relationships because you're getting kind of a window into who they are and some, some information. But of course, there are real privacy issues there too. And, um, you know, we can't divorce this from, you know, issues of class, race, gender, kind of, et cetera. Um, and so there are no easy answers for, for thinking about this. And I think, you know, as teachers, when we're, we're coming to this, we're often kind of thinking about, okay, what makes us feel like we are getting to know our students and having kind of community there. Um, but I think we also have to 
think about, okay, for the students, what do they need to be able to feel connected and engaged? And those two things might not line up depending on the context that they're in um, and the kind of experience that they have. Um, I know for myself, I, I love when I can see my students on, on video and get a chance to, um, you know, talk with them that way. But there might be real reasons that my students choose to not put their videos on for for class. Um, and so I try to have there be options for different ways that they can kind of engage in the class and, and participate that don't require them to um, to have their camera on. But it is I think this is something we're all really trying to navigate right now. And it's it was different when I started my research because these classes that I was looking at when synchronous was more of a fringe um, kind of practice that there was the requirement and expectation for students to have cameras on because they had elected to take courses in this modality. But now we're in a situation where many students are taking courses in this modality when they would not have chosen to do so in other circumstances. And so can we or should we require them to essentially be disclosing aspects of themselves that they wouldn't have chosen to do otherwise? And I personally land on no. Um, I, I don't require cameras to be on when I teach. I very much understand why people want to and why you know people feel more connected when they're able to see their students um, but especially right now when what we're doing is so far afield from where we thought we would be um, i think that we have to be flexible and we do have to kind of meet students where they are and think about kind of what are their needs because what they're looking for in community and relationship might not actually line up to what we think we would like as teachers you're the director of the Writing Center at York College of Pennsylvania, and your teaching embraces multimodal pedagogy and practices. How does a multimodal approach to teaching writing influence or inform or potentially even intersect with the kinds of practices you value and use in the Writing Center? I'll say it actually might start the relationship going in the other direction, that I think that a lot of my teaching has been influenced by my experience in the writing center so having worked as a tutor um, and so the kind of flexibility that i think is central to writing center pedagogy of trying different strategies using different modes to help connect ideas and engage kind of students um, that was something that i learned as a writing center tutor and brought forward with me when I then started teaching. And so it does kind of influence back to how I try to frame my, my writing center. We used to have this giant table in the writing center filled with all kinds of highlighters, post-its, scissors, all kinds of things. And tutors were really encouraged to engage with all of these things in ways that were not just talking about the paper or just kind of writing on the paper, but draw a map of concept or, you know, create, you know, highlighter codes in, in the um, paper with the student to kind of create a visual map of something. Cut the paper up and see kind of what happens when, when you move things around. So I think now we're trying to think about how do we replicate that kind of online? What are some of the ways that we, we can do that? And also just recognizing that 
different modes might connect students in different ways. So for instance, one of the things that we're doing for our asynchronous tutoring this semester is that all students get not only text-based feedback, but also an accompanying screencast um, comment kind of from the student that is providing an overall explanation or delving deeper into one of their comments with the idea that hopefully this flexible approach of offering multiple ways of getting feedback will allow kind of whichever one works best kind of for the student to be available to them. Wanting to provide a lot of flexibility and a buffet of options for students, but also not overwhelming tutors or students with too many technologies, too many options. I think that is that is always kind of the challenge of that balancing act because you do want to meet students where they are, give them the type of support and feedback that's going to work best for them, but trying to have a million different options makes it hard to train tutors to do that well, to have them feel confident about using those. Um, and so always trying to balance simplicity with flexibility. Thanks, Kim. And thank you, pedagogue listeners and followers. Until next time.